Hello and welcome to In The Mix, the podcast all about the Great British Bake Off. Now we're really excited to be back for 2020, but I'm even more excited today to be talking about Biscuit Week, because for me that means catching up with the King of Biscuits, Philip Stoneman. Hey Phil. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Enjoying 2020? Well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. (laughs) Exactly, biscuit puns have started already. Despite COVID, the Bake Off is still going on. And I think it's going strong at the moment. Are you enjoying the new bakers this year? Oh, yeah. It's it's just, it's the antidote that I think I've, I've really kind of wanted. It's, it's, you know, it's made Tuesday nights worth having a nice cup of tea and sitting down in front of the telly again. Absolutely. I feel like it's a very uh, British response to all <laughs> gather around the television and watch a program a reality show about cake it brings the nation together we had clapping for the nhs outside and now we've got the great british bake-off back well it's cold now on a first day at eight o'clock <laughs> why would you want to you know step outside you're having you know having to, to to wrap up put your scarf and hat on you know all you need to do is put your oven gloves on with the bake-off and uh, yeah you're, you're you're all sorted Exactly. So I have definitely been enjoying watching the Bake Off this year because usually it's a good excuse to eat some sort of cake or biscuits or pastry whilst watching it. Um, But one of the other reasons that I've been really enjoying it is to see the new dynamic between Noel Fielding and Matt Lucas. Have you been enjoying Matt Lucas's new performance in the tent? Oh, yeah. He's just, uh, they, they just gel really well. Um, and I love, I loved, uh, Matt Lucas introducing the, the program in the first week, <laughs> maybe smile when we chuckle. Um, and then, uh, he's, he's got this great rapport with Noel Fielding and they complement each other really well. Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, I loved Sandy. She was incredibly cynical and sarcastic, which is uh, my (laughs) dream in life to emulate that. However, Matt Lucas, I wasn't really sure what he'd be like because I've only really seen him years ago in Little Britain, a programme which I didn't exactly enjoy. Um, So I wasn't sure how he'd be just being himself presenting a show. But I I think he's doing really well. First week, maybe there was a few nerves, but now he seems to be getting into the swing of it a bit. Wait, who was it? Was it a Sonoris Biscuit? Apparently created the biscuit, if I remember right, in the opening to this week. I have been enjoying his sort of tours around the Bake Off tent and stuff. I don't know if you've watched Extra Slice on a Friday with Joe Brand, but he's been giving a few tours of of the tent and the village that they've got going on there. It is good. Maybe we'll talk about that a bit later. But for now, we've got to get back to biscuits because for our regular listeners to In The Mix, they might already know that you are called Biscuit Phil by friends, family, colleagues, acquaintances and people that you've met only on the internet. Um, So I just wondered before we cracked on with judging Biscuit Week Mm -hmm. from our end, whether you've had any new amazing biscuits that you would like to tell our listeners about that you could possibly recommend? Well, unfortunately, the the only biscuits I really wanted to recommend are only available um, via the uh, the kitchen of a, of a colleague at work. Okay. Um, he started oh, during lockdown. He started baking with um, parts of his family teaching him yeah. over Zoom or just on the phone or whatnot, and he's made these delicious 
um, Viennese whirls, which oh. just crumble away. They melt in your mouth. And um, because, of, you know, to be COVID secure and whatnot, they bag them up all individually, um, to put them in the tin, and then they bring them to work, and then they hand them around. Oh, it's wow. divine. A Viennese whirl is, is like the most decadent of biscuits. They are so good. Mm. Do, do they have the cream and the jam in? Do. Oh, man. Viennese whirls are one of those biscuits that, are they a biscuit? Are they some sort of cake? type thing when I think biscuit I think custard cream chocolate digestive something like that something that you could possibly dip in a tea Viennese whirl I think it's another level but we don't necessarily have a word for it it's like a I guess it's like a a, a biscuit plus yes um it's got that um like one meter plus (laughs) (laughs) it's it's like baked just that little bit lightly um and so you get that really kind of crumbliness um and and the indulgence um, but it's just so delicate as well um and it's just delicious it definitely is i think everything they made on the bake-off this week for biscuit week was definitely biscuit plus as well because they started mm. off with florentines so paul and prue asked the contestants to make 36 which is crazy 36 identical florentines dipped or using some sort of chocolate um, and they had to have the most perfect snap and they had two hours to make it but 36 biscuits in two hours seems like an impossible task it's a lot um and i think that the thing with the florentines is it's um you've got all these different ingredients you've got the fruit you've got the nuts um to go and then mix into uh your whole batter and then you've got the the chocolate as well to sort out. So it's not just your, your issues of um, your standard issues of timing and calling down and whatnot. It's making sure um, all of those ingredients are you know spread out through your, your mix, and so they don't all say sink to the floor, sink to the floor, sink to the bottom, um, and then um, and then making sure they've cooled down enough by the time you, you start your dipping process. Definitely. Now, one of the things that I wanted to clarify is what makes a Florentine? Is it the snap or is it the fact that you've got sort of a, a caramel biscuit with, with nuts in? Is it the nuts that make it a Florentine? Well, I think as uh, as Prue seemed to insist all the time, it was really clear when they were introducing the challenge and then during the challenge when they were wandering around talking to people and then when they were doing the judging is, does it snap? Does it snap? <laughs> it's got a good snap or it's a bit bendy. It doesn't snap. So I think I will defer to Prue on this one. So she, she knows what she's talking about. So it's definitely the snap. So I was impressed actually with some of the flavours that people were choosing in the Florentine Challenge. I think Peter, who is my favourite currently, Peter seems quite analytical. He uh, seems like the guy that would bring his protractor and ruler to, you know, really work out how his bakes need to go to make them perfect. He created a sticky toffee pudding flavour Florentine. And the thing that stood out for me the most, and it seemed Paul Hollywood, was the fact that he caramelised white chocolate and dipped his Florentines in that. It is meant to give you like a nutty flavour, which I guess adds to the dates and everything that he put in the Florentines to make it really taste like a sticky toffee pudding. I was impressed by that one. He, as from being Starbaker last week, um, and then, you know, today he, he looked self-assured, he looked confident and really kind of sure of the the kind of flavors he's working with 
which is something that stood out last week. Um, annoyingly, he's like quite young and talented. Um, <laughs> I think he's younger than the both of us. How so dare you? <laughs> not gonna lie, slightly sort of, sort of a bit jealous there. Yeah. Um, but no, they they look divine, and they have the snap. They did. And another flavour that sort of stood out in, well, I think actually in a lot of the challenges, including the technical and the signature this week, is people were really going for mango. Now, I don't know if the Bake Off production team had, you know, a good deal on some mango in their practice like with Rubicon kitchen. or something. Yeah, exactly. They'd uh, got a shipment in and it was like, guys, you just use up the mango. We've got so many. We can't be seen to be wasting mangoes in 2020. We don't want to stockpile them. Please incorporate them into your bakes. Because Mark and I think a few other people put mango in their quarantines. Dave, maybe, as well. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting flavour, but I don't. I, mango isn't something that makes me think snap. If I'm thinking dried mango, I think chewy. So I don't know if it had place mm. in a Florentine. Well, as a well, maybe if you're going down the dry fruits route, maybe it's your your banana, your dried banana that has a good um, chip. Or like, uh, or maybe do, 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 I think you get dried apples as well. Yeah, um, a little bit flaky, um, but the the mango. Uh, hmm, question marks. I was really impressed with um, Sura and her rose water flavours. Yeah. Um, oh. Having the rosebuds on top of them look really amazing. It was like something you'd see on Instagram that would have about 15k likes or something. <laughs> and then and then the cardamom tea on the side as well. Yeah, just a, a little bit for finesse there, just to uh, get the judges in a little bit more. That was good. Um, But one of the uh, things that stood out is you could either go down the route of having the traditional dipped chocolate and maybe some feathering with a different colour chocolate on top like Lottie did and Dave did. They ended up looking really good. Or you could go slightly the other way and bring out the modelling chocolate and the icing and the decoration. Um, But I think that limited the snap. That seemed to be the pattern. Now, Rowan, who is a man of... uh, a lot of controversy when it comes to this season of Bake Off, especially this episode, chose to use modelling chocolate to create some waistcoats on the top of his Florentines. I mean, I'd, mm. I'd say cool idea, looks good. Mm, I wasn't too sure that they looked very good in the end, but they were definitely too thick to get a snap. I don't know if he was trying yeah. to, like, create his own brand in a way. You know, I'm Rowan. I'm the one with the waistcoat. You'll remember me if you, uh, if you watch the Bake Off because of this. That, that's all it seemed to be, really. A bit wacky, but it did prevent him from getting a good snap. It was uh, unfortunate for, as, as a pace for Rowan because um, he was trying to, I think, maybe trying to do a bit too much. Um, and whilst, the, I guess, maybe the waistcoats were a way to sort of be you know, a bit colourful, whereas, you yeah. know, chocolate can be, you know, is black, brown or white. It's um, quite, I say, dull. Uh, chocolate is not dull. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is a statement I want to throw out there. But you know, to to to, to make those Florentines see have that bit of colour to them that they might not otherwise have, it just a didn't anything come across that the modelling chocolate probably, as you say, not the one to use. And but then also just just the time factor, which is something as as last week proved, the first week proved, 
he uh, is, is just something he's not quite so strong on. No, he's very ambitious with his ideas. He's very creative. Um, but the execution, you're right, he does need to keep an eye on the time and possibly be a bit more realistic about what he can achieve within the window. Um, someone else that uh, used a type of, I don't know if it's a type of modelling chocolate or just chocolate was ruby chocolate so Amin and I think Mark use ruby chocolate both of them and I've never had it before um, but Amin's looked I mean the idea was very nice to have a nice tree sort of stencil or henna looking um, with some gold leaf on top but I think again either she struggled with the cooling process because the chocolate seemed to be a bit flaky and the stencils didn't really work um, or she was trying to do too much at the same time hers didn't really match up with the picture that was drawn. Mm. Not good. But the the two for me, other than uh, Peter that stood out, were Dave with his feathered chocolate mango Florentines and then Lottie, who, okay, they weren't uniform because she did a bit of a sort of wacky spread on the top with all the chocolate, but they looked good. And Paul Hollywood thought hers were the best, so much so that he offered something that... People have only read about this year. We haven't seen for a long time, but the Hollywood handshake. He actually touched someone else's hand, <laughs> which no one else has done for a very long time. I know it was, I mean, they were, the way you describe them did sound amazing. And um, I mean, well, first off, they were called Quarantine Florentines. So okay. top marks for uh, right. the name. Yep. <laughs> and and didn't Lottie say that she would go and deliver them to a gran? Oh who yeah. Was yeah. So you know, tug at the heartstrings there. Oh, she's got um, worked but, out. Yeah. Um, but no, to 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 see the handshakes because they're all in their little biosecure Bake Off bubble. They are. Um, and so you know they they uh, they can do that. Um, but it yeah. Uh, they look really good. Um, can we also shout out Mark for his for his nuts? You you can always shout out someone for their nuts, Phil. Yes. Um, I did, possibly uh, Mary Berry. Uh, no, not Mary Berry. Uh, Prue. Oh dear, that's oh, oh no. no, that's um, blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't probably mention Prue. Mary Berry on a Channel Four show. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it's not that bad. Don't worry. It's um it's probably the Prulie uh, moment of the week. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, no, but Mark with a K. Um, I think it was Mark with a K. Well, we've got Mark with a K, Mark with a C, and Mac. Yeah. And um, when you like Mark, you've got nuts as big as that involved in <laughs> your boy. Stop it. Sorry. <laughs> it just sounded like you had intimate knowledge of Mark's nuts. Well, they. I mean, I suppose when when you're dealing with the Florentines. You've got those just general big chunks in there. Yeah. Um, it's just very impressive. It was impressive, so much so that Prue gave us the finest bake-off innuendo about them so far. Right, so one of the things we spoke about earlier was the fact that all the Bake Off contestants and the judges and presumably the crew are all staying in a small Bake Off bubble at the moment because of coronavirus. So they're only allowed to see each other and they have to all stay and practice their bakes all together. So on Extra Slice, uh, which Joe Brand hosts on a Friday night, Matt Lucas has been doing a few VTs showing us around the Bake Off quarantined area. So one of the bits that I thought was interesting is that all the judges have their own little small trailers, but not as in like big American movie trailers, like the ones that you'd probably see 
you know, at the Black Country Living Museum type style mm-hmm. trailer. So they all sleep in there like a, a, you know, a good Airbnb looking place. But one of the other things that I thought was interesting is usually we hear that the bakers have been practicing all week. They've been making biscuits and, you know, Florentines and macarons for all of their friends and family, just trying to get the recipe right. However, they don't have that now. So they have a built test kitchen. They all have individual kitchens with big screens up so they can't really see what each other are doing. And they're just Mm. allowed to create and go crazy it that must be really fun if you're a baker you're away on camp you're cooking with any ingredient you want to be creative and you're part of like a a national competition how cool that is very cool and i mean when i when i think of my little kitchen here um it's uh at stoneman towers in my little flat (laughs) and there's you you're, you're kind of a bit cramped for room um you need to sort of clear out you need to put the toaster away to you know make enough space to do a bit of rolling or, or, or something like that yeah but then to you know to get the full work you know proper oven with those you know the slidey doors all that space on the countertop Very you know stately art whisks and things yeah that's got to be pretty cool Definitely. Um, But one of the bakes that they're obviously not allowed to practice in this test kitchen, and I wonder if anyone thought about practicing them anyway, uh, is the macaroons, which I have to be Mm. careful not to say macaron, which is what I want to say, or Macron, the French prime minister. Um, So this week, uh, Prue, I think it was, asked the bakers to create 12 uniform coconut macaroons. Six had to be filled with chocolate and six had to be filled with a mango curd. See, mangoes on wholesale. Someone got a good deal. Um, (laughs) But this is one of the rare bakes I've actually tried to do before, just in my fun, everyday, slightly Mm -hmm. middle-aged sounding life. Um, And macaroons, not rons, uh, are actually quite hard to get right. I've done them twice and once I have definitely overbaked them because they came Mm -hmm. out sort of dry and didn't really stick together very well. And the first time I did it, they were still essentially the coconut mixture that I'd put into the oven. So I never mastered it. And uh, thankfully, some of the bakers didn't really master it too. It was, it's it's a tricky one this because you've got, uh, I think it was as Prue said, you need to sort out your timings um and and be really uh self-assured as well when you do it because you've got that sort of you need the, the sort of solidity on the outside but then sort of the is it the, the, the gooey not the gooeyness but still the softness on the inside yeah um and where you have your um you have your, your the, the mango-ness through it yeah um so it's it's, it's it's a tricky old challenge it is i never had a coconut macaroon that had anything inside I've, I've had them sort of dipped in chocolate or whatever which has been very nice but I, I haven't heard of a filled macaroon before so that was a, a nice uh, surprise and perhaps one that I can finally try and get right if I ever decide to bake them again but with the technical challenge this is when this week's bake-off controversy sort of started really obviously uh, we know who has left but lots of people have said that was unjust and it should have been clearly someone else um so during the judging uh, rowan with his waistcoats on his florentines he didn't do very well in the macaroon challenge they said that his was underbaked and he had the raw coconut issue again as if it was just you know put in the oven and pulled back out again so his were a bit raw 
And then we had Mac, who seems like a very sweet, wholesome family guy. Um, and he, he was told that they were not very uniformed, but they had really good flavor. So they were 100% cooked. Um, and mm. then we had a few others that did very well, including my favorite, Peter. Um, they were very neat, but, but, but they might have been a bit underbaked. Um, so it, it was a mixed bag. But the controversy between Mac and Rowan about who should have gone out did start here, I think. Did, did you think that uh, perhaps Rowan was, was a bit lucky in this week up until now? Uh, I think I think he came across as somebody who definitely wasn't going to make the final. Yeah, I will give you that. He had uh, he had a lot of had a lot of passion and was very much a character of the tent, but he certainly, up until that point, had not had a very good week. No, I can't, I like what you said though about he came across as someone that couldn't make the final. That I mean, you're probably right. Actually, the people who seem fun and their baking's okay, but they're not very consistent. I mean, they could probably go out of the competition at, at any time. Really, you just don't want to see the ones that seem very consistent. Which at the moment I'm thinking are uh, maybe Lottie, maybe Peter, maybe Dave, Sura, despite her you know, flapping about last week, she seems quite mm. good. So um, they could possibly be the ones you'd expect to stay later. But you're right. I mean, Rowan, you know, could have gone out any week, to be honest. But di what did you think of Mac? Did you see him as someone that possibly wouldn't make the final? Lots of them have some, lots of them this year seem to be able to have these really nice flavour combinations and, this is this is where your your bake off cooks differ from your run of the mill cooks yeah. because they can you know whereas I might you know go into my kitchen and I'll make myself some shortbread their shortbread might be I don't know have bits of lemon or lavender infused um, dipped in 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 chocolate or have you know fancy fancy flavour sprinkles on which you never think of um, and so then it comes down to getting those basics right of, oh, here we are, here we are with these slightly more complicated things with this higher standard of baking. Um, but you need to get the basics right because that is still what makes your, um, what makes your, your biscuits tick in this case. And it's all well and good, you know, when they do the, the, the drawing and you of, of what it's supposed to be. And, to, it's got all the annotations there. This is supposed to be this. This is supposed to be that on the telly. But you need to make sure you know it is cooked all the way through. It's um, it's not under or overcooked, and that's the, the you know that's the skills you kind of need to show. And if, if you don't really show those skills, then you're at risk of um, you're at risk of the chop. Yeah, definitely. It is always the whether it's been baked enough or whether the flavoring is good that ultimately means the people stay or go in the bake-off you're right you know the drawing they could say oh i want to create uh, like they did last week i want to create a cake that looks like david attenborough well it's not you're not going to be judged necessarily on the likeness of david attenborough you're going to be judged on whether your cake was underbaked or whether the flavor comes through so you're right it is the it is the sort of basics that you are there for it's just whether you can have the added pressure of the creativity the fact there's a camera in your face and a, t a time pressure really. Mm -hmm. 
So I think it's time to move on to our showstopper challenge this week, which they get crazier, I think, every season and every week that goes on. And this one really seemed like someone had just pulled some options out of a hat. But uh, the judges wanted the contestants to create a 3D biscuit table setting from a memorable meal that they've had, which just seems completely out there. I remember when I watched the programme, I wrote down table setting with a question mark. Yeah. Because what is a, t- well, well, we saw what the table setting was, but that's the kind of thing I probably have to look up and go, uh, okay, so what am I going to do? Um, like a, I know, a gravy boat? Oh, that's Didn't think of that. Good. That's good. Yeah, it was basically just create, create some crockery and some cutlery out of cake but I I didn't necessarily hear the table setting part when I watched it first I think I was expecting I heard most memorable meal so I was like oh they're going to make some good they're going to do the realistic food out of uh, biscuits and stuff again Um, but then Matt Lucas said something about I want you to make a realistic teapot or and again I thought that might be his surreal type humour but no people were actually making knives forks spoons plates cups bowls you know Mm. I mean, some of them looked very good. Others uh, looked a bit challenged. Um, But I wondered if you had uh, a thought about a memorable meal that you've had and perhaps a table setting that you could create. Oh, crumbs. Um, Even even your exclamations are (laughs) (laughs) biscuit-themed. Well, uh, uh, now that's a good question. He says, trying to buy some time. Well, I can tell you one that I thought about. Okay. Okay. Well, again, table setting's weird. I wondered if you could do sort of the setting that you were in as well. I mean, Rowan created a a lighthouse, which we wouldn't find on a table. Um, So I wondered if you could slightly bend it a bit. You could do your plates and your bowls and maybe a cocktail or something. Um, But I was thinking the most memorable place that I have had a meal is like at the top of a massive tower uh, when I went on holiday to Dusseldorf in Germany. And Mm -hmm. it was around Christmas market time. It was really nice, really cold. But this tower is just just imagine like... well, basically, the whole tower is an elevator until you get to sort of a ring at the top. And so yeah. that is an entire restaurant and bar. But what's amazing about it, it's all glass. You can see completely over the city. But to top it off even more, the whole thing rotates. So you get oh. a 360 degree view of Dusseldorf. And it was beautiful because there was all the lights, you know, it was dark and you you could see the Christmas markets and stuff, but you're so high up. Um, And I think I spent the most of the meal eating, but staring just out of the big windows that you're (laughs) sat near. So maybe I could have done some sort of biscuit tower with, as I said, a nice cocktail. I remember having some sort of nice prawns up there. So I could have done a bowl with some prawns or something made out of biscuit. I think that would have been mine. I thought, well, for that, it just sounds like you could uh, get a breadstick and put a party ring on the top. I could. That See, this is why we're friends. Yeah, but as long as they taste good and it's baked well, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I think from memorable meals and thinking about now, probably the going the route of like an afternoon tea um, feels like a good route to go down. In the sense of you've got classic, it's, it's quite classic yeah. rather than anything too fancy, which is, I think, where I wouldn't want to risk it. 
because um, I could think of um, you know, going to France and having um, in this dinky little uh, fishing village, which just happens to have a great big whopping uh, ferry port next to it called <laughs> Ross in Brittany. Yeah. And uh, um, I remember we, my dad and I, when oh, I was in single digits, we we went just before we were to go and get the ferry back to Plymouth. Yeah. We would um, we went to this little uh, fishing village called Roscoff, and we went inside to a little restaurant, and we shared a, a, a big pot of Mool Marnier, which is mussels, and we counted eighty six. No um, way. <laughs> 86 muscles. Oh That's a completely so, different take on an afternoon tea, I was thinking. I thought you were going to go, you know, jam sandwiches and stuff, but no, muscles is amazing. Um, but then that's the thing, and then I, I don't know how I get that sort of, well, um, white wine and fishiness into, into <laughs> mm. a biscuit. Yeah, maybe I'd have to think think a bit longer on that one. You wouldn't really want a fishy biscuit, would you? Uh, no, um, so that's why. So that's why probably your classic afternoon tea is uh, is 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 I don't know maybe a bit safer in that occasion. Possibly that slightly reminded me of the fact that my choiceful winner of the entire thing, Peter, um, created a haggis as part of his table setting. Again, you don't want to don't want a biscuit that tastes of fish, but you don't really want a biscuit that tastes of meat either. Um, but they, they did say his was excellent. They said that um, it looked beautiful, weird for just sort of a, a brown log type thing that it looked mm. like on a plate. Um, but he filled it with some nice raspberry cream, which looked really good. Um, mm. And I think his his sort of came up trumps uh, during the showstopper this time. Um, but uh, going back slightly to one that I've mentioned previously, uh, Rowan again controversial Rowan he created a lighthouse it was a teapot it did have a light in which was good um and it was made I think possibly one of the only ones that wasn't made out of gingerbread it was a lemon shortbread I think um Mm. and I mean they said that it looked sort of okay but I think they also said that it was disappointing to eat it may have tasted a bit rubbery um so I mean his was again a clever idea but maybe not executed in the best way so it's a lot of style mm-hmm. or a lot of intent. Um, and, I, well, there's a lot of, you know, the, the showstopper is where you want to try to be um, a bit flashy. Yeah. Um, and this is where, you, where you've got to be very creative. Um, but then I suppose it comes back to the thing of your, your standard, like, baking rules where you need to make sure you're um, not over or under baked, you get your timings right, and... You're not, as you say, you're not rubbery. Exactly. Your, your biscuits are solid enough um, and uh, all of the basic ingredients are there and you're then just then wowed by the, the flavour combination as well as the, the general design and shape of things. Exactly. We had a few afternoon teas. Uh, we had uh, Laura, she did an afternoon tea with a, with a cake stand, which I think is on the vibe that you might be going down 
Uh, we had Linda did a high tea in Amsterdam. A high tea. I wonder what her bakes were infused with. Um, and also uh, the two Marks, I thought they were quite good. So Mark with a C, he did a toast rack in his with a bit of toast that I thought was really nice. Uh, Noel Fielding said it looked a bit Roger Hargreaves, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the illustrator or creator of the Mr. Men books. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that looked really good. Um, and then there, there was a theme, Mark with a K and Lottie, they both chose to colour their biscuits black. So we had Mark with an Ethiopian coffee ceremony and Lottie with her sort of rather eccentric Viking showstopper mm. with a boat. Um, I mean, I'm sure they tasted nice, but it's it's a bit of a gamble making your biscuits such a black colour with food colouring because... I just look at them and think, oh, God, that, that's burnt. You, you, you sort of mm. set yourself up for, oh, this is going to taste a certain way, you know, like a bland Oreo. But they did say they tasted good. I mean, Lottie's, I think, was a, a good gingerbread, Prue said. Would you be up for eating a, a very black-coloured biscuit? I think so. I mean, I can only say that, uh, um, you know, the only black biscuit I have eaten is probably an Oreo. Yeah. Um, I've never seen... I've never seen a otherwise black biscuit that wasn't sort of, you know, that you know, bit of cocoa powder, um, which I think an Oreo is, um, plus some, you know, other stuff. But I'd, I'd, I'd give it a go because I think if it was then um, alongside your, your, your bits of cream or bits of other things that hold it together, that, well, if I'm honest, as long as I can have it with a brew, then uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, not too fast. Exactly. exactly. It could be any flavour biscuit. As long as you've got a cup of tea there, you'll probably enjoy it. So uh, this is uh, the controversy of this week, the showstopper. Again, it came down to Mac and Rowan. I mean, Mac created uh, a nice tea setting, but it was all square was one of the issues. The brief was to mould your your showstopper mm. so i guess it had to be round but he did sort of square cups and a teapot it looked neat and, and good um it was bowls cups and a teapot um but they said it was a good flavor so, so that was okay um i guess rowan he did you know some molding with his lighthouse um so it all came down to those two about who was going to go and Twitter seemed to be up in arms that Rowan should be the one to go because of his raw macaroons and his unsnappable Florentines and his sort of clumsy looking rubbery showstopper. However, the judges decided on Mac, which I thought was quite unfair because re-watching the, the whole Biscuit episode, he had sort of two out of three that were a bit dodgy, but Rowan had three out of three. What do you make of it, Phil? Oh, well, I think I think Rowan's days are limited. I think, I think he's kind of shown that he's. I, I don't see him troubling the business end of the competition. No. Um, but I thought he was in a lot of danger of going. I won't lie. Yeah. Um, but then to see to see Matt go. Um, if I if if I was a judge, it, I kind of feel like I probably would have booted out Rowan. Yeah, I uh, agree. But I will not argue with Paul Hollywood <laughs> and Crew Leaks. Um, 
because they are supreme and uh, I, no, I, I will not argue. No. Well, I wondered if they kept Rowan in because maybe he made Telly a little bit more than, than Mac. Mac was quite quiet and, you know, uh, someone that seemed to just want to get on with his baking and do the best that he could, whereas Rowan was very eccentric. He caused some drama in the episodes. You know, he never finished his bakes. He came up with crazy ideas and it was fun to watch them unfold or see where he gave up in his crazy ideas during the episode. So maybe they felt like we need to squeeze one more week out of TV gold Rowan um, and his waistcoat just to see whether he wears the one from the 17th century or, or whenever it was. <laughs> so I thought it was a shame that Mac went this week. I would have liked to see more of him. I think he seemed like a really nice guy. And uh, again, nice, wholesome viewing for the family, you know, to make everyone smile during coronavirus times. I think Rowan just uh, may cause some anger with his inconsistency, whereas Mac was a pleasant watch. So that's what I think. So, uh, Phil, before we wrap up, I just wondered if you had any standout favourites. You know, I'm a Peter fan. Do you have anyone that you think would do quite well and might get all the way to the final so far i know it's only week two i quite like uh sura yeah um and her range of flavors um the the two marks one the one with a k and the big nuts and then <laughs> one with the c um i think they've they've got something about them i can see them um doing well yeah and Peter seems like he reminds me. Was it maybe Andrew from a couple of years back? Um, yeah. Very young, late or uh, late teens or early twenties, um, Scottish, um, slightly ginger hair, um, would wear like jumpers and things, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know seems to be very competent and have a good grasp of things. I can see him, you know, going very far. Um, I'd say versus the the other Andrew, he seems very uh, measured and accomplished. Yeah, definitely. So you're on a sa- similar train of thought to me then. Mm-hmm. That's good. Can I bestow you a, a biscuit fact? Of course. Um, because uh, I was I was because uh, this came up the other day, and I thought, oh, this will be a useful nugget of trivia to reel out on one occasion, and so. I thought this might be a good occasion to wheel out this nugget of trivia. I'm excited. Um, Edge of my seat. And so, well, with the Florentines earlier, we're talking about, um, you know, dipping them in chocolate. Yeah. And I know that when you have, for instance, a chocolate digestive, the chocolate is on the bottom of the biscuit. Yeah. And I will tell you also that's definitive. The chocolate is the bottom part of the biscuit. Because when they go and um, dip the chocolate, they have to dip it. Um, the biscuits are lowered down into the chocolate and then brought back up. Um, oh. Whereas um, if the biscuits have the chocolate put on the top, you have the risk of the chocolate running down the sides. That's true. And, and possibly the biscuits so- sticking to whatever you're pushing it up to. Yes, and so, um, and so, therefore, um, if you have a chocolate digestive, chocolate-rich tea or equivalent, if you have chocolate on the one side, it is always on the bottom. 
That is good. There was a debate, wasn't there, about whether the chocolate was on the top or bottom of a digestive. And you've, you've just told everyone now there's no need for people to ever discuss that again because Biscuit <laughs> Phil has given you the definitive answer. Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming on In The Mix today. It's always great to talk to you because you are king of biscuits uh, and you seem to have a fountain of biscuit knowledge, always, and are always trying new biscuits to recommend to us. So it's been good to have you on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Happy baking.